At least you know you can hear me. That's a good sign. You can open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 6, and we'll get started there in a little bit. Pastor Dave, uh, I was sitting there studying on, I think it was Friday night, and my phone rang. I looked down, it was FaceTime with Pastor Dave. So I turned it on, and there, Pastor Dave and uh, Steve, Steve Nims were, big smiles on their face all the way from across the, the world. And uh, they told me to tell you that they, they love you guys, they miss you, and that uh, they have teamed up with you guys to spread the gospel in a whole different world. And uh, it's 10 hours ahead right now, and they will be... Uh, uh, starting a big day on Monday. Uh, they'll be out in the bush, out in the jungle, whatever they call that out down there. The, and uh, they're ready to, uh, ready to go. And they'll be talking and preaching many times. So we can keep that in our prayers. Uh, I want to tell you, uh, I got a phone call from Tim Hannawell, which is in charge of our finances at church. And he tallied up the offering that we took last Sunday to, for them to take cash with them to give away to anybody in need. And we raised $2,513. That was cool. So praise God on that. So, yeah, yeah praise the Lord. Uh, they were very excited. And uh, so as of two nights ago, they have not given any away yet. So, But he's planning on hopefully this real soon. So very exciting. And so we can continue to pray for them this whole week. It's going to be a busy, busy week for them. And we can pray for their safety and that God brings them back to us. Also pray for their families uh, as they're alone. And we can keep an eye on them. Make sure you call and check up on them. And uh, if they have any needs, we'll make sure we take care of them. Uh, would you uh, pray with me this morning as we get started? Thank you, Father. I count it pure joy to be able to open up the Word of God and be able to talk about it. I pray that my words will be your words and it, it makes sense. I look forward to the scriptures and look forward to talking. As we start this message off, I'm looking forward to encouragement too. And uh, thank you for this body and the people here who we love very much. In Jesus' name, amen. Forty years ago... About this time of year, or this time of the year, uh, I can remember on a Wednesday or Thursday night, so I was about 16 years old, my mom and dad sat us down, our family, in our house in Bellingham, and they told us, us kids, hey, we're going to change churches. We're going to go to a different church uh, that we've been attending, and we were attending a church in Bellingham for Grace Baptist for my whole life, and uh, there was going to be some changes, and uh, they were excited about coming out to a new church. So on Sunday morning, we had to drive all the way out in the country. It would seem like we had to take a lunch with us. It seemed like it was so far. And here we showed up at Nooksack Valley Baptist Church right here, and uh, which is Christ Fellowship today. And uh, I can remember of my family, all of us walking in that door. And uh, it, this place was huge. You know, this was the mega church in the time because most churches are 50, 60 people. And this was a church of 300 at the time. And... Uh, I can remember sitting down right where Edith Hansen was with her family right in, the, right in the row thinking, wow, I don't know if I like this. The worship started. Dave Lunsford was up here. He was a, the worship director, or song leader, and he was moving his hands. And, you know, and it, the music was loud compared to what I was used to. Okay, it was loud. I don't know if I like this, you know. And uh, then John Roman got up and he was preaching. And uh, it was different, different than what I was used to. I didn't know if I was going to like it. I really wanted to go back to my home church. Um, after church was over, 
the whole body came up and introduced themselves to us. And Dave Lunchard, which was a youth pastor at the time, came and, and, and invited us kids to the youth group, which is up on third floor. And uh, uh, so we, we came, and that's where we started meeting people. And that's when the relationships started here at Christ Fellowship 40 years ago. And I was thinking as I was preparing for this message, I, I talked to two, three of you and said, what should I preach on? And it, almost everyone said the same thing, encourage us. So I'm going to, before my message, I want to encourage a few. And I'm going to name a few people. And the problem with naming a few people is I can't name you all. But I want you to know these are people when I, when I came here, and they're still here with us today. It's, it's, a, it's a long time, 40 years. And uh, I can remember one of the first, piece, first people I met up in the youth group was Bill Edwards. And uh, today he's an old guy, you know. He's up here with us, an old guy. And, uh, you know, we, we went on mission trips together, okay. Uh, I think even Rick and Beth Strutz, and they were way older than we were, you know. And uh, they were up there. Uh, Tim Hannawell. Uh, we had Tim Hansen was there. We had strange people that we didn't, I don't know to this day, but there was a Kayleen Bosch. There was a Rhonda Blankers, you know. And then all of a sudden, the day Bender met Tony Osink. And time started to change, you know. We started dating and started having fun. And, and uh, before you know it, we became, we, we all started getting married. And uh, great things were happening. I went to Corbin, uh, Western Baptist at the time, met my wife down there, came home, got married here, and uh, had a reception here. And the friendships were still here. And, and we just had a great time here at Christ Fellowship. That is what a fellowship does. And we were, I'm so excited to say, I stayed here. I'm here for 40 years. You know, and I want you guys to know I appreciate our friendships. And we, you know, we had we were in a Sunday school class one time, and it was either Ken Meyer and Barb Meyer, or it was uh, uh, Alan and Claudia Brand, but it was called Young Adults. Okay, and I don't know, three years into the Young Adults, he finally taught a class about it's time you guys have babies. Okay, you've been young adults long enough, and so that class, he, he told us that, and it was like nine months later, we all had babies, okay? I mean, we, we listened to him, okay? And so the cool thing is, is we were raising our families together at Christ Fellowship, exactly like that was the time. You know, we went to Lamaze class, and we just, our kids were the same age, and, and here we are today, ministering together 40 years later. That's what Christ Fellowship is all about. Other people, I can remember as I was like growing up, godly men mentored me. I remember Ben Knight, a uh, wonderful guy, man. Talk about a man with wisdom. And I remember when he built the youth center, and he said, you know, he got up here in front of everybody, he says, you got to want it. We can do this right here with the people in here. And we built that youth center with the people right here, you know, because of the leadership that Christ Fellowship has. Other friends, I don't know if you remember Bert and Peggy Sheets. So you remember them, some of you don't. Uh, wonderful older couple, and uh, they're home with God right now. And uh, But, man, they meant a lot to us, and uh, great people, great God people. Uh, Pastor Dave Browning came. He was here for a short time. He's probably one of the men that had the most impact in my life because he saw in me what my strengths were, and he showed me how to use them. And uh, in the short time, and he's home to the Lord right now too, but God, the man that helped, helped us. Then God gave us Craig and Debbie. That was a 10, 11-year span that we just adored that couple. And I praise God for them too, you know. And we're not done yet, guys. I mean... Here about seven, eight years ago, ten years ago, things started changing, and we got uh, we brought in uh, um, Pastor Dave and Dreen. When we met them, we knew we had something special. 
We could see that. We also knew that it might take a little while, and we didn't have a clue what that meant, okay? Because his style was different than what we're used to, you know? And, uh, but we knew we had something special, and I have grown to love Dave and Jean, and uh, they're part of this body, and I, I thank God for them. But during that time, things got tough. Things started happening. Uh, one of the things I can remember is uh, good friends of us, uh, Daryl and Sue Holtrup, and, uh, you know, I can remember, we were, I would say we're good to best friends. We didn't do a lot together, but because of Christ's fellowship, we had a connection together. And, and one day, uh, God decided to take Sue home to be with him in glory and change Daryl's life completely. But the reason I bring Daryl up is because, again, part of our body, we saw how the body helped Daryl out. But Daryl being an elder and deacon, man of quality, man, he has just stepped up to the plate. You know, he's heartbroken. As, as I see the widows going like this, I mean, you, you understand that, right? But Daryl has been strong in his faith, and I am so glad every time I come and see him today, he, he always gives me a hug and says, I love you, brother. And that's what this fellowship is about, guys. More. Uh, Chris and Laura Belvin, great friends of ours. Tam and I would probably consider them one of our best friends. Chris and I, I think, I don't know of another man that I've cried more with. It's just something about the trials and stuff that we've gone with. Him and I have prayed together and cried together. And, uh, you know, he's, he's a big hugger. And when he hugs you, man, he squeezes everything out of you. But uh, uh, I just appreciate their friendships. And the elders and deacons have stayed strong. The mats, we have, uh, I don't remember how many, like 13 or 14 mats. Roughly 80 to 90 people involved in mats. And they're the ones that do the ministry here at Christ Fellowship. Without that ministries, you know, the Christ Fellowship would not be what we're at today. The Holtz, the Myers, the list just goes on and on. And we're just so blessed by godly people here at Christ Fellowship. One of the couples, so that means a lot to my wife and I, um, I, call, I call him the elder elder. And that's Jerry Toon. Uh, Jerry and Judy have a prayer ministry. Uh, I sat in their home the other night, and uh, we were talking about something. They all grabbed our hands, and we sat there with four of us, and we prayed together holding hands. And that's just something that you don't see very often. And I just, I love you guys so much. I'm, I'm so proud to be your friends, and it means a lot to us. Seven years ago, we started praying uh, for more families. We needed help. And God started bringing us Christ-like families. And we needed people that could jump right in. And uh, God brought us the the Christiansons, the Jarginskis, the Honeys, the Winters, the Herringas, the Horsemen. I mean, the list just kept coming on. And it just kept kept coming our way. And and you guys don't know this, but, man, when we meet on Sunday on an elder meeting, we're on our hands and knees. And we thank God for you personally that you guys are here to help us out. And I mean that, too. A few other ones before. This is part of my message, by the way. Okay, we're going to jump right in. But this is important. Um, uh, some of our widows, uh, Edith Hansen, uh, every Sunday I come here. You missed me this morning, by the way, but we'll get together, okay? She comes up and gives me a hug and says, I love you. Uh, she has the gift of encouragement. That is her gift. And if you ever wonder, Edith, how important your ministry here is at Christ Fellowship, it's huge. Okay, you have a huge part here at Christ Fellowship. Um, then we got Leona Jager. Uh, I give her the uh, her 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 um, gift is wisdom, and Dave goes over there a lot and talks to her, and she has wisdom and encouragement. And if you ever wonder behind the scenes what this widow does, is just amazing to me. And uh, she has a huge part. And we got Betsy Weaver. And Betsy, my heart is broken because ever since your husband passed away, I've been lonely to, to see him again. The halls at Christ Fellowship are not the same without your husband here. It's just like it's a lonely place, you know. But we all know he doesn't want to come back. 
Okay? We know he's in heaven with Jesus. And I, I, I know I've talked to Betsy, and to be honest, she just wants to go home too. Okay? Everybody's nodding their head because you've talked to her also, right? Well, Betsy, your time's not yet. Okay? And you have a huge part because when people come and visit you, we try and come to your home and talk to you to encourage you. We always come away more encouraged and more blessed by your presence. Okay? The other day, uh, uh, Jessica also went over, came over and visited you. And you probably not on Facebook, but she wrote this great big thing about Facebook, going to your home, and how you blessed her, and how you talked to her about kids and books and stuff like that. This is what happens, folks, when we go see our widows. Okay? And uh, Betsy, you have a huge ministry at Christ Fellowship, and we need you here. We'll be excited the day you go home to see your husband again. But right now, we get to have you here. One more. Uh, Shirley Dieter, another widow here at Christ Fellowship. Many of you don't know her, but she's bedridden, been that way for a couple of years. But she considers this church home. I sat with her uh, husband here, man, probably 30 years ago, uh, maybe longer than that, and uh, on his deathbed, and he held my hand. He says, uh, promise me you'll take care of my wife. Promise me to take care of my I looked in the eye and said, Richard, I'll take care of your wife. And my wife and I have been caring for her ever since he passed away. And, you know, my wife gets a phone call every week. It's from, by the way, it's my aunt, Aunt Shirley. And uh, she always says, hey, I have my tithes checked. Will you please take it to Christ Fellowship? And, you know, this is a woman that has a, a wage of what I probably spend on fuel in a month. So very less. But yet, it is important that every week she gets a tithe check here to Christ Philip because she wants to be faithful to God. These are our widows. And I am so blessed to be a part of this family and I'm excited to have them here. And uh, we can remember them in our prayers. And, uh, and, uh, but yet know that God is uh, doing great and mighty things here at Christ Fellowship. We're blessed here, and I look forward to getting to know the rest. I can't mention everybody by name, but I'm preaching next week, so there's going to be a few more next week too, okay? And so uh, uh, I pray that, that next week uh, it does not snow, because otherwise this message doesn't make sense if I can't preach it next week also. So <laughs> uh, we're not a big church. Uh, many of you have come from big churches, and you'd probably say that's okay. That's probably why you came here, because that smaller atmosphere is not a bad thing. Uh, we are going to continue to be strong, and we're going to let God grow this church. Uh, we're excited to get help for Dave. Uh, we, are, we are right now looking at executive pastor uh, level, like we said we would, and exciting times are ahead of us, folks. And, uh, and uh, that's happening as we speak, and so there's been phone calls already made, and so we're excited to present that to you one of these days. Today we're going to be in Genesis chapter 6, and we're going to talk about the gift, the, the life of Noah. And uh, this, is a, this is a story that uh, most of us who have been in church our lives have, have known from a child all the way up. And uh, when I think of the, the life of Noah, and I remember back in Sunday school at Grace Baptist in Bellingham, I remember these things being said about the, Noah, uh, the life of Noah. A storm is going to happen. Noah is a man of God. He and his family are going to live on a ship for a while. God told him to build an ark. Lots of animals are going to go, come to Noah two by two and live with him on the ark until the storm is over. During the storm, Noah and his family and all the animals will be saved from the storm. After the storm, Noah sends out birds to fly around to see if they can find dry land. The water disappear, and Noah and his family leave the ark to see dry land again. Noah then makes a sacrifice to the Lord, and God gives Noah a rainbow as a covenant to him and to us that he will never flood the earth again. 
These are the things I remember about Noah and the ark. John Piper says this, Noah and the ark is not a children's story. It is one of the most terrifying and tragic stories of God's wrath in the Bible. When I read that, I thought, man, that is true. I always remember as a children's story, all the animals living on this big boat, you know. And then I started reading this, and I think, truly is a, a, a tragic story. A French artist, Mr. Dora, says this. He captures the mood of the story in his engraving of a huge expanse of empty sea with one lone rock protruding a few feet above the waves. There are three terrified children on the rock, and slipping into the sea are a mother and father trying desperately to push a fourth little baby to safety. On that rock sits a giant tiger. Bodies are floating in the water all over the place, and overhead circles the exhausted vultures. Whatever else we may say about this story, it is not cute. It's terrifying. If we actually look at the Bible, before we read it, these are some of the things we learn in Genesis chapter 6. The world was wicked. So wicked down to the very intents of the heart, God was sad that he created mankind. God decided to destroy all humanity except Noah and his family and a small amount of animals. The waters came, the earth filled, and it was flooded at a deathly speed. Besides the ones on the ark, every animal on earth, all the dogs, all the cats, all the cows, all the bears, all the lions, all the monkeys, all the squirrels, all the tigers, every species that was on the earth drowned. Besides the ones on the ark, every man, every woman, every mom, every dad, every aunt, every uncle, every brother and sister, twins, grandpas, grandmas, everyone on earth drowned. Because of their wickedness. It was a terrifying event to everyone. At this part of my message, we come to the life of Noah. Humanity was constantly wicked. They were so wicked down to the very intents of the heart that God decided to destroy all humanity. He had a perfect knowledge of who was to be protected in that judgment. So having determined that he would destroy, he informed Noah of the fact that he was going to destroy the entire world, but spare Noah, his wife, his three sons, and their wives. And through them, God would preserve his original promise to Adam to fill the earth and to enjoy all that God had created. By the way, nowhere in the Bible, in this account, does the Bible say that Noah ever says a word. He doesn't speak in chapter 6. He doesn't speak in chapter 7. He doesn't say a word in chapter 8. And he doesn't say a word in chapter 9 until the flood is gone. And the first words out of his mouth was a sin. Think about that. The first words out of he, he cursed Canaan. That's the first recorded thing that was given us. And what we learn from the fact that you go through these chapters... And that it never records Noah saying anything. And the reason that is, is because it's not about Noah. It's not about Noah. It's about God and what God is going to do. This is all about the sovereign purpose. This is all about the Almighty, the Holy God, acting, judging, and saving. Noah never says anything. But he is a player. And he is the actor in this story. All to glorify God. Although he doesn't say anything, he does everything that God commands him to do. Everything. And that is the evidence of that righteousness 
which God, which had been granted to him by God. Let's look at chapter 6 and see what chapter 6 says. And when studying this, this terrifying story, by the way, it is, there's so much information in here. And before we read it, I just want to share a few things because there's so much more than I've ever been taught about the story. And that's the greatest thing about studying. This is the greatest thing about what Pastor Dave talks about theology and knowing the Bible. It never gets old. And as old as I get, I can always learn more. And this, this message, I learned a ton. Okay, because I would have told you it's a great story for the kids. If I could go up in the jam and tell the kids a terrifying story, I'm not sure I'd be able to tell them the terrifying story it is. Three things that we can see in this passage before we read it. First, the wickedness of man is very great and his heart is full of evil continually. Second, God's patience does come to an end and he destroys unrepented sinners in judgment. Third, God does not surrender his purpose in creating man. Even in judgment, God accomplishes all his purposes. In Numbers 14.21, it says, All the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Judgment is real and is horrible, but it will not be the last word for us. We come to the sixth chapter. This section runs all the way down to verse 22. We can see from the first 12 verses of Genesis 6 that God is going to destroy the world. This is what the text said when you follow on. Genesis 6, verse 1. When man began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any they choose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be a hundred and twenty years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterwards, when the sons of God came into the daughters of man, and they bore children to them. These were, these were the mighty men who were of old, the men of the renown. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted, the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creepy things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Zapheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their ways on the earth. We can see from the first 12 verses of Genesis 6 that God is going to destroy the world. That message, that message hasn't really been given to, yet to anybody in that the world before the flood. It is simply the first 12 verses written by the writer of Genesis. It's telling us that the judgment is coming. Nothing in the first 12 verses tells us how the judgment is going to come. Or in fact, anyone is going to escape it either. Not in the first 12 verses. But we find in verse 13 to 22 that the judgment indeed will come. It will come through the means of water, a flood, and there will be eight souls who will escape. Eight out of the entire world. 
Think about that. Eight in the, out of the entire world. There are numbers out there, by the way, that talk about how many people were on this earth. And it was fully populated, guys. It wasn't a couple of villages. It was fully populated. And as verse 13 and 22 unfold for us, this escape from divine judgment, we learned some very important and confirming lessons. Repeatedly, the Bible says that God, the eternal and holy creator and sustainer of the universe, acts in history in two ways. One, he judges sinners. Two, he rescues sinners from judgment. John MacArthur says this about this passage. He says, essentially, that's the story of Scripture. That's the story of redemption. And that is a story of histories. Sinners are either judged or they are delivered from judgment. And that is a dual theme of the Bible, of biblical history, from the creation of man in Genesis to the destruction of man in Revelation. From here on, we're not only talking about Noah, but we're also talking about Revelations, folks. Because there's two times the world gets destroyed. Okay? And you'll find out as we go on. There are just two kinds of people in the world. There are those who will be judged by God. And there are those who will be rescued from judgment by God. The New Testament is filled with promises and warnings. And so is the Old Testament. Filled with it. If you read your Bible, you'll see that it is filled with this type of information. Do you understand this? You can either be judged by God, or you can be rescued by God. Where are you at, folks? It's a great time to take inventory in your life. You know, for those of us that are believers, this is, this is great news. But we have family, we have friends that we need to talk to. God is coming again. Are you Noah? Or are you everybody else? Men... This world we live in is full of men who call themselves Christians. But many of them live a worldly life. They live a life of pornography. They live a life of addictions. They have a life of the, with the lack of biblical theology. Lack of boldness to even talk about theology. This life is, most, a lot of men, excuse me, a lot of men are deadbeat dads, deadbeat fathers, deadbeat sons. They could care less about what they, what they do. And a Christian would not do that. The life of a husband, the life of a father, the life of a son. Today, folks, our kids need us dads more than ever before. I mean, you look, the, you look at a, a child that doesn't have a dad or has a deadbeat dad, and it shows. So dads, it's time to step up to the plate. Where are you at today? Where are the biblical warriors both of the Old Testament and New Testament tell about the final judgment. The final judgment of God on the world. Both the Old and New Testament also tells us the fact that God will rescue. He will rescue the believers from this judgment. This is great news, folks. This is where it gets exciting. Time to take my jacket off. I mean, it's time to go. Uh, when we can hear about the good news that God has for us. It is something that was planned before time. Before time. The end life, the life that, that Jerry is in right now, the life that Phil is in right now, the life that Sue is in right now up in heaven, that is our reward in heaven. And I hope today's a day. 
Would that not be cool? You know, before the message was over, before I have to say my final comments, all of a sudden we hear that trumpet. And however that story plays out, if we're flying in the air, whatever that looks like, would that not be exciting today? I mean, praise God, we know it's going to happen. And I pray it's in my time. You know, I pray it's in my time. We will be rescued from final judgment if you believe in Jesus Christ. Digging deeper, growing stronger must be a part of our lives. Man, it's time that we wake up, though. It's time that we take life serious. Again, this world is full of men that call themselves Christians, that live that worldly life, and that ought not to be. Now, to understand that what final judgment would be like, we come to this amazing judgment in Genesis 6 through 9, which is a section that describes a flood. Because here you have a worldwide cataclysmic judgment. I had to look that up, by the way. What, a cla- what does cataclysmic mean? I had a hard time even saying it. Okay, so once I looked it up, it says it's a great destruction, a sudden and violent change is what it means. This judgment wipes out all humanity, and that is essentially a preview of the final judgment in history. In fact, the New Testament talks about that. Do you know that? The New Testament talks about Noah and compares it to the end times. Why don't you open your Bibles to Matthew 24 for me. Matthew 24. Verse 37. This is uh, Jesus' words, by the way. This is what Jesus says about this. Matthew 24, 37 to 39. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Luke 17 verse 26 says this. Again, Jesus' words, Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, another tragic story. They were eating and they were drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven, and destroyed them all. Another terrifying event. So will it be on that day when the Son of Man is revealed. Jesus himself, with his own mouth, describes the future judgment of the coming of the Son of Man as being like the judgment in the days of Noah. And the Apostle Peter does the same, by the way, in Second Peter 2, 1 through 10. Let's open our Bibles to that real quick. Second Peter 2, 1 through 10, and we'll read that together. This is what it says. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. You know, this last week, I'll stop there, we'll finish reading this in a minute. This last week on Monday, uh, something happened to me at work. And, uh, you know, for the last 10 years, uh, there's one in- individual that I need to face face-to-face. An individual that, uh, that I don't like. An individual that uh, uh, hurt me and many others. 
And uh, I've been praying for the last 7 to 10 years when God brings them to me face to face that I'd handle that well. And uh, this man that has destructive heresies, he says things that's not true. And uh, so Monday morning, about 10 o'clock, I met Z Recyclers and a, a lady drives a car in to be scrapped and I go up on the scale and talk to her about it and when I'm done I turn around, here's this man I've been not wanting to see for the last 10 years, right in my face and a uh, big smile on his face, hi Ken Olson and you know, I blew it I've been praying for 10 years, I'd handle that well, and I blew it I just, I was so mad at myself I did not handle it well and uh, I said things I shouldn't have said, for one thing I'm at my I work for my boss and not for myself. And so here it is in front of customers, in front of people. And I needed somebody to, to come and save me, you know, because I was my worst enemy. And I just could not handle that, the words he said. And the words all came back out of his mouth again. And, uh, and it just kept getting worse. And, uh, and I had to, even though he, he says these type of things before he left, I had to go and apologize. And that was the hardest thing I can remember doing for a long time. And so I went to this gentleman and apologized for the things I said. It's not the right place to say it. And he looked at me and says, you know, I've been waiting for your apology for seven years. Your apology accepted for all the things you've done to me. And I looked at him and I really wanted to say some more things. And you can only imagine, okay. And uh, he invited us over for dinner and... I'm like, God, what, what are we doing here, right? And so here, I mean, I backed off and didn't say a whole lot more from that point on. I apologized for one thing. I let him know that. And uh, But the reason I bring that up, guys, is we got to be prepared. I was not prepared. And I blew it. When he left, the first thing I did is text Dave Steele and said, man, I'm sorry. Did Chris Bell, man, I'm sorry. Text my wife, man, I'm sorry. I blew it. And, you know, I went to God and God said, hey, Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. You don't need to do anything, you know. Uh, but I was disappointed in myself. And this is what's going to happen. It's going to happen more and more, guys, as we, as we get bold in our faith. So verse 1, I'll start over. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow with sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell, and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to to be kept until the judgment... If he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a a herald of righteousness, with seven others, and he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as a righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from the trials. Thank you, Lord. And to keep the the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. And especially those who indulge in the lust of the defiling passion and despise authority. Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. 
Second Peter does a great job describing the future judgment. The holocaust of destruction of the universe as being like the judgment of God in the days of Noring. A tragic event. A terrifying event. So the Lord and the apostles in the writing of the New Testament made sure that we made this connection. If you want to understand what the final holocaust of judgment is going to be like, the best view is given to you in Genesis 6-9. through The New Testament tells us that. This is why I chose this passage to talk to you about. We must be the Noah in the world. We must be a biblical warrior. My time is going away. I've been talking too much. Um, the good thing is I have next week to preach also. So you got to come back next week so we can finish the life of Noah. But a few more things. John MacArthur states in a message on this subject, it was about 1,650 years into human history, the flood came. Just a millennium and a half or a little more, and God destroyed the entire human race, drowning them all. And that was a model for what he will do in the end. Not by water, but by fire. I'd like to say we're all ready. I'd like to say that. I hope we are. If we're not, it's time to get ready. It's time to be rescued, not judged. Let's wrap this up today. We talked about how we have and have been blessed at Christ Fellowship. I mentioned names and names and names of different ones. And there's a lot more. We are a family. And we share in the joy. And we, we share in the, the disasters. We share in life. We have babies born. And we share in the death. When someone goes home to be with the Lord. Are you digging deeper? And are you going stronger? This is Dave's been preaching this uh, the, the whole this whole year, 2020. And he's serious about this, folks. One thing we know about Pastor Dave, when he preaches, he's serious about it. Are you the biblical warrior? We know by Genesis chapter 6 that the world was wicked. So wicked down to the very intents of the heart. God was sorry he made mankind. If you look at our world today, you wonder how close we're getting. I mean, I have a hard time even watching TV anymore. Facebook needs to be turned off. I mean, conversations you have with the world is just, it's harder and harder. Schools are starting to teach things that they shouldn't be teaching, right? I mean, it's just, if you look at our world today, I remember my grandma, when she lived to be almost 100 years old, she was talking about these things. And the last 20 years, it's gotten so much worse. How close are we getting to the judgment day? Well, God decided back then to destroy the world. He saved Noah and his family and the animals. So what did we learn about God during this study? Well, we know that God judges sinners, but we also know he rescues sinners from judgment. That's the news I want to make sure you understand today. You can be judged or you can be rescued. And it is so simple. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Go to him, get on your knees, and say, Jesus, please come into my heart. I want my, I want my life changed for you. And you get the gift of the Holy Spirit from that point on. 
And he will guide you the rest of your life. But you've got to do that. You've got to mean it. I can remember when I was a pastor in Yuma, Arizona. And I had, you know, our ministry was going really well. And we had all these moms wanting us to bring their kids to say the prayer of salvation. And we had a study on the prayer of salvation for a child. You know, and you got to wonder about that prayer of salvation because you have to make things right. You got to do what God wants you to do, you know, and it's, it's not simply just believing. You have to have a change of heart. Worship team, why don't you come on up and I'll finish up here. As we said, there's two kinds of people in the world. There are those that will be judged by God and there are those who will be rescued by job. We find that in the history of man as we move Toward the final judgment. We talked about the good news. We talked about God's grace. We talked about Jesus dying on the cross. And that is exciting to us believers. Now it's time for us to share that. To everyone we know. You have brothers. You have sisters. You have aunts. You have uncles. We work with the unsaved. It should be shared constantly folks. That is great news for us. We will be rescued from final judgment. It is coming if we believe, if we dig deeper and we grow stronger so that we will become biblical warriors. Let's uh, worship God and I'll do my final comments right when we get done. Go ahead, Jason. You can stay there. As I was thinking of my closing comments, um, I came across a page that I enjoyed about a month ago that uh, Jerry Toon put in the bulletin under his prayer thing. And I thought it was fitting because as we look at the life of a Christian, we look at the life of Noah, you wonder how can we be that person? How can we even match up to what God wants? And this is what uh, Jerry Toon wrote. I'm not sure where he got it, but it sure fits. It's called, uh, God Uses the Flawed. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, 2 Timothy 1.9. Many who have indeed been remembered by history in the Bible had serious flaws of character. Yet God still chose them for mighty roles of faith in building his kingdom. David concealed his adultery with a murder. Noah, as we'll learn next week, got drunk after the flood. Jacob was selfish and a pathological deceiver. Rahab was a prostitute. Jonah ran from God. Adam and Eve committed first sin. Gideon and Thomas were both doubters. Peter placed pride before humility. Joseph was a bragger to his brothers. Mary Magdalene once was uh, possessed by demons. Samson was a womanizer. Cain, firstborn man, murdered his brother. Moses had a problem with his temper. Abraham twice let other men have his wife. Paul was a murderer and a persecutor. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were all liars. Jeremiah was depressed and suicidal. Sarah lied to cover her sin. John argued about being the greatest. Yet each one of these men was used by God. They were sinners just like we are. Each of us have our own flaws also. The Bible says that Jesus came not for the righteous but for the sinners. All 12 of the disciples were flawed, but Jesus uses them to fulfill his mission on earth. Remember that we are sinners. He came for us and he will use us also.
Whether flawed, tiny, insignificant, or just plain sinful, each one of us must stand ready to be chosen to work for God. Next week, we're going to learn the story of the flood. The rains came, filled the earth. The big ship, it floated. Uh, John MacArthur doesn't call it a ship. He calls it a barn. And you got to think about that more appropriate than a ship, right? So the barn floats. And we're going to be learning that story. It's a great story, very tragic story, uh, but great comes out of it. The prayer point that uh, Jerry Toon gave us. Even though each of us are all sinners, and as the world becomes more and more wicked, we need to pray with thanksgiving that Christ's fellowship will dig deeper and grow stronger for Jesus, and that we will all become biblical warriors. That is our, our prayer today, folks. And I hope this message made sense to you. Again, next week we'll finish the, the life of the Noah and uh, the, the, the great flood. Will you pray with me this morning? Father, I count it pure joy to be able to open the Word of God and share it. This fellowship means so much to me. I love everyone here. I'm so excited for Dave and Steve to be out in the mission field preaching the gospel. I'm excited to hear their stories, and thank you that everybody here made that possible for them. We're excited to hear from them. Would you protect each one here? I pray for the widows that we talked about and the other ones that I missed. Would you give them encouragement? Would you give them excitement? Would you give them the purpose? Give them good health? And I thank you very much for each one of them. Thank you for each of the members here at Christ Fellowship and the tenders. The new families that you have brought our way, how exciting it is to see new blood. Thank you for the worship team behind me, the great worship we've had. We love you, Father. We thank you for Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you, folks. You're dismissed.